Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. Turn with me again to the book of Daniel, chapter 4, and verse 24, the passage that we have read. This passage is about a dream, about a bad dream that came true. But the real lesson that we learn from this is how God saves sinners. And there's just two things that I want you to learn. And the first of those is that God is long-suffering with sinners. And the second is that it is God who is sovereign in our salvation. God is long-suffering with sinners. In the book of Second Peter Chapter 3 and verse 9, we read these words. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, the Lord was certainly long-suffering with Nebuchadnezzar. Let's look back for a moment over what we've learned about this king and see how gracious God has been in his dealings with this man over the years of his his rule, his reign. Let's think of his fallen character. This king, King Nebuchadnezzar, had a pagan lifestyle. Think about his characteristics. We have learned over the past few weeks that Nebuchadnezzar was a proud, haughty man. He conquered the whole world as he knew it. He's proud of his achievements. He's a man who is a great builder. He has built and rebuilt Babylon. It's become one of the greatest and most beautiful cities in the entire world. So he's proud. And with that proud came arrogance. And with that arrogance came cruelty. He was a tyrant. He was a despot. He was a dictator. He didn't care about people's lives. And we've also learned that he worshipped pagan gods, false gods. And we learned that he was a blasphemer, blaspheming the only true God, the Lord who created heaven and earth. And yet, despite who he was, this proud pagan king, God is working quietly away in his life. You can trace it over these four chapters. In chapter 1, God brings the king under godly influence. Remember how we learned that he brought into his university, into his education program, four young men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And they were brought into the palace and they were given positions in the palace. They refused to compromise their faith. They refused to accept food offered to idols. They were a faithful, godly influence right inside the government. I think I should pause for a wee moment. There are such things as Christian politicians. Sometimes you wouldn't think it when you see the direction that parliaments and governments take. But there are such things. 
And I think that we should be praying for Christians in Parliament, don't you? I think we should find out who, the, who these people are, and we should pray that they remain faithful in their work. So Nebuchadnezzar is brought under a godly influence. In chapter 2, we learned that Nebuchadnezzar had a nightmare. And when Daniel tells him what that nightmare is about, we find out that he learns that Daniel's God, the God of heaven, the one true God, can see right into the heart of sinners, can discern the very thoughts of his subconscious mind. What a lesson to learn. But Nebuchadnezzar is still not there yet. And then in chapter 3, despite learning that lesson, despite finding out that God knows what's in his heart, Nebuchadnezzar is still a proud man, and he still lets his human sinful nature overrule what's happening in his conscience, and he builds an idol of himself and expects everyone to worship. And, of course, we learned over the past couple of weeks that there were those who refused to bow to idols. And when he brings them out of the fiery furnace, there's not a singe on them, not even the smell of a fire. And Nebuchadnezzar learns another lesson. He learns that God is real. He learns that God is infinitely more powerful than even the most powerful man on this earth. And he learns that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. And he learns that when God's people go through times of difficulty, the Lord himself is with them and protects them. Do you see how wonderfully patient God has been with Nebuchadnezzar? Do you see that over a period of time he has been gradually revealing himself to this deeply sinful man. He's been opening Nebuchadnezzar's eyes to his greatness and his power. And at the end of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar knows that there is a God. He knows who God is. He knows what God is like. But he still doesn't know him. Because there's still no repentance, and there's still no turning away from sin, and there's still no trust. So although he has this intellectual knowledge about God, he's not resting in the Lord. He's still trusting in himself. He's still too proud to admit that he's a sinner who needs a saviour. But that's going to change. God is long-suffering with sinners. Book of the Month. Follow the link to buy your copy. It's September and our catechism classes based on the Heidelberg Catechism have recommenced. If you haven't got a copy of the catechism, then I would really urge you to purchase a copy and to keep it and to read it. It will be a worthwhile addition to any library, and a personal paper copy is probably essential for any meaningful study of the plain and practical Christian teachings that the Catechism contains. So for September, the Heidelberg Catechism will be our Book of the Month.
Links to buy your copy at just £2.95 can be found on the episode notes during September. Or contact me by email. The email address is bob at bobmacavoy.co.uk. September's Book of the Month, the Heidelberg Catechism. When you buy a copy, a small amount of the price supports this podcast. The second thing that we see then is that when it comes to our salvation, it is God who is sovereign. In the book of Jonah, chapter 2 and verse 9, there's just a little snippet of a verse that says, Salvation is of the Lord. It is all of the Lord from beginning to end. And our role in it is passive. Sometimes, if you go to an evangelical meeting, you'll hear a preacher saying something like this. You must invite Jesus into your heart. Because God is a gentleman. And he won't force you. You must open the door of your heart. And let him in. Have you heard something like that? Well, it's not true. It's based on a misinterpretation of Revelation 3 and 20, where Jesus says to his cold-hearted, lukewarm church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. But Jesus is saying that Not to sinners, but to Christian believers, to members of the church, to his people who are excluding him from his rightful place in their lives. Now think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. What a man he was. He was never going to invite Jesus into his heart. Sure he wasn't. He was never going to open the door and let the gentleman in. He was going to persecute and arrest and murder believers. And he was going to do it with a vengeance. And he was kicking against the goads, a bit like Nebuchadnezzar. And look what happened. The Lord appeared before him and blinded him with light and knocked him off his horse and humiliated him in front of his friends who had to lead him like a child into Damascus. Let's see what God's going to do with Nebuchadnezzar because he's going to smash his foolish pride and break his stubborn will. In verse 10, you see, Nebuchadnezzar has had another bad dream. Let's turn back to it for a wee moment. Chapter 4 and verse 10. These were the visions of mine in my head. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. The height thereof was great. Really bad dream. Nebuchadnezzar saw a tree. It's a big tree with leafy branches and there's lots of fruit in this tree and sheltering under the tree are lots of birds and beasts and the tree is providing food for all those animals. And then he sees in his dream a watcher he talks about, a holy one, a single person coming down from heaven and commanding that the tree be cut down. Its branches cut off, its leaves shaken off, the fruit destroyed, the sheltering animals driven away, and all that's left of the tree is a stump with a band of iron and brass in the field, wet with the dew, living amongst the animals of the field. 
Verse 16 brings the message of this dream home to Nebuchadnezzar. Let his heart be changed from man's. Let a beast's heart be given unto him. Let seven times pass over him. No wonder it scared him. Babylonian kings were very often depicted as great trees feeding their subjects. Well, as usual, the king's council could do nothing about it. They didn't know what it meant. So he sent for Daniel. And Daniel came and began to explain the meaning of the dream. We broke into the passage at verse 24 where that's happening. The passage tells us that the king is going to be driven away from people, that he's going to be living in the fields, that he's going to be eating grass like the cows, that he's going to be brought down to his knees and humiliated, and everything in this world that he loves and praises and values are going to be taken away from him until he comes on bended knee unto the Lord. But the dream's a warning. It hasn't happened yet. Still time. It's a call to repent. God's speaking to the king. Daniel's preaching the gospel to him. In verse 26, he's saying, After that, thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. Verse 27, Wherefore, O king, let thy counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins. Stop your sinning. But a year passes by. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten the dream and the warning and the call to repent and to turn to God because down in verse 28 we see that all of this came upon him. At the end of 12 months, look at verse 29, he was walking in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon and he spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? Is not this all my work? What was he looking at? He was looking at a beautiful city. Babylon wasn't like its predecessor. Before the Babylonian Empire, there was the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian city was Nineveh. Nineveh was a terrible city. A city of death and stench and filth and bodies and corpses. Babylon was beautiful. The hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the wonders of the ancient world. Beautiful city. He had much to boast about. So he stood in his palace and he surveyed the wonderful city that he built. And he thought, look at Hyatt, look at me. Look at all of my wonderful works. And just as he preened his prey, a voice comes. A voice from heaven that he heard just as clear as Saul did on that Damascus road. God would humble Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 33. Because that very hour, the very same hour, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and he did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, 
and his nails like bird's claws. What a transformation. The most important man in the whole world, the proudest man in the world, suddenly stricken down with an illness that drove him mad, that reduced him from the finest food to eating the grass of the field, that brought him down from the royal palace and the company of princes and advisors to wandering in the fields among a herd of cattle, from servants who bathed him and preened him and answered to his every whim, to a filthy, smelly outcast with nails that grew like the talons of a bird. And here's the point. God did it to him. And here's why. To bring Nebuchadnezzar from his pride into the very depths of despair. To drive him to such a low place that he would realise that nothing on this earth was of any value. No one on this earth can help. And the only hope that he has is to cry out to the Lord for mercy. Seven times went by. We don't know what those times were. Were they weeks? Were they months? Were they years? Who knows? But out in the field as Nebuchadnezzar ate the grass with the cows, driven away by his former subjects, out of his madness, Nebuchadnezzar remembered something. He remembered that there's a God in heaven who'd been revealing himself to him. He remembered there's a God who is powerful, who knows his true condition, who cares about his people so much that he even walks through fire with them. And in despair, in the depths of his utter horror, he cried out to the Lord. In verse 34, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. In Psalm 130, verse 1 to 4. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine eyes be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thy Lord shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Here's the good news. And the king sitting in the field, wet with the rain, cried out of the depths of his distress. God heard him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here's Nebuchadnezzar's own testimony in verse 34. At the end of the time, I lifted up mine eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praised and honoured him who lives forever. You see, it had happened. Nebuchadnezzar 
the proud king of the world, having been drawn by the Holy Spirit to discover the reality of God and his own sinful condition, had been struck down to the earth, had been brought low by God, so that out of the very depths of despair he could cast aside his dependence upon his own works and in simple faith trust the Lord. He was returned to his throne as seen as he had ever been. But he's a different man. He testifies in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of Heaven. The proud pagan, the arrogant king, the man who was at the top of the world, has been brought to the depths by God so that he would realise that salvation is only of the Lord. The end of verse 37, he says that all God's works are truth and all his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. And you see, that's how God saves sinners. That's how he does it. He works drawing you to himself through maybe a period of years very patiently with great long suffering revealing the gospel to you until one day out of the depths of your despair out of the depths of your sin you say Lord I have nothing save me and he never turns you away. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.